For in this hope, we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? more than conquerors 
death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, nor anything else in all creation, height, nor depth, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord.
ultimate connection with God that Paul points out is available to those in Christ. And there's some hope, there's some more groaning, if you caught that, some searching, some praying. Mostly there's a rock-solid promise of loving togetherness that can never be torn apart by anything, by us or anyone else. It's a kind of radical, insistent togetherness and communion that it's hard for us to understand because we've never seen it. We can't do it ourselves. We don't see it in the relationships around us. So this, this culmination of the greatest chapter in the Bible is about assurance. Assurance is a word related to the word secure, which in Latin means secura, which means without care. No apprehension. Wouldn't that be nice? Where do we find this, assur this assurance? I'm going to say, let's look in three places. And we'll look at the scripture. One, look inside. Two, look to the cross. And three, look to others, particularly mentors, elders. First, look inside. I was listening to the radio and I heard this, this great song that I loved and I really closely listened to the lyrics and it kind of ruined it for me. Uh, <laughs> do you know this song? It's by Norman Greenbaum, Spirit in the Sky. It's an old classic, uh, 1970s. It's, it's considered or rated in the top 100 influential songs ever. And I listened really closely to the lyrics and I thought, oh, so I'm going to read them. And spoiler alert, if you don't want to ruin the song. <laughs> it's such a great bluesy rock gospel. I mean, what an amazing tune. I'm not going to sing it. You're welcome. Uh, so here's, here's some of the words. Prepare yourself. You know it's a must. Got to have a friend in Jesus. So you know that when you die, He's going to recommend you to the spirit in the sky. Here's the worst part. Never been a sinner. I never sinned. I got a friend in Jesus. So you know that when I die, he's going to set me up with the spirit in the sky. Hey, you can unplug it now. You can still go on loving that song. It's awesome. It's not theologically. <laughs> So this guy in interviews, he, he talked about how he wanted to do something kind of spiritual, like he loved gospel rhythms, and so he wasn't really sure what to do. He was kind of a, a non-practicing Jew, and he said he picked Jesus because that would be more commercially viable. Okay. He also said this in the interview. He said, it appeals to one's inner self and the need for redemption. Plus, heck, who wants to go to hell? That was, that was his theology. Uh, so there's a lot in there. I'm not going to go into all of it. But um, in verse 27, this passage in Romans talks about he who searches our hearts. How does that sound? Someone searching your heart. Be a little scary. The word 
word in the original language, the rud, that means, it implies someone lighting a torch and going into a dark room, a cave, and lighting up every corner. Or someone listening, listening in the dark. And God who searches our hearts, what, what is he listening for? The scripture passage tells us the wordless groaning of the spirit. That's a little confusing. But all that is happening inside us, whether we want it to or not. God is searching and listening for the groaning of the spirit. When I think of groaning, I think of an existential honesty. The pain of everything, physical, emotional, spiritual uh, emptiness and pain. And the world is in pain, groaning. The church is in the world and is part of that pain. The church cannot be off to the side or above or separated from the pain of the world. And here is God entering himself into the middle of that pain. In the power of the Spirit, in a mysterious way that we can't begin to understand. And in a way that's good because then we don't have to understand. When we don't know what to pray, we're at the end of our understanding, the end of our abilities. That is the moment when the Spirit is most involved, interceding for us at work, groaning beyond words or human understanding, but not beyond the searcher of our hearts. The God who made the universe and is beyond and above all regularly chit-chats with the Spirit in us in ways that we cannot possibly understand. So here's a challenge from author N.T. Wright theologian, take up the prayer where we are caught up in the loving, groaning, redeeming dialogue between the Father and the Spirit. It has to do with learning to be quiet before God. Learning that we don't need words all the time. We pray here at the end of the service for people suffering and the suffering of the world. But there's also a place to allow quiet for God's presence, to allow the Spirit to groan in us. And that's a mystery. I'm not going to try to tell you what that means exactly. I don't know. But to allow God to search our hearts and allow that to happen, I think we can begin to do that without understanding. And that groaning we can recognize as the suffering of the Messiah. One of these verses here says that God is conforming us to the image of his Son. And this is part of that shaping. Part of that conforming is this, this type of Entering into the pain of the world prayer without words. 
And in verse 28, probably heard this verse a lot. Um, God works for the good. Despite how it looks. And that groaning will be turned into good. And there's all kinds of stories throughout the Bible about that. Joseph, who was sold by his brothers, thrown into prison for many, 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 many years. He's there and he has, nobody has any idea what God is up to. And many years in the future, when he has the chance for revenge, he says to his brothers, you meant it for evil. But God meant it for good. And that, that bit about God foreknowing, I can't go into everything in this passage, but just look at it this way. God foreknowing us means that we did not choose God. He chose us. Even when we choose Him, He was involved in that. We have to be able to look inside and look at ourselves soberly. I'm not a sinner. I never sin. If you look inside yourself and sit in the quiet and allow the Spirit of God to groan in you, you cannot possibly come to that conclusion. G.K. Chesterton was a, a theologian and a thinker, and he was posed this question with many more intellectuals and thinkers. They wanted to get all these complicated treatises about what's wrong with the world, and they sent out this question, a newspaper. What is wrong with the world today? And G.K. Chesterton famously wrote back, Dear sirs, I am. Sincerely yours, G.K. Chesterton. That is your understanding if you understand the good news of the cross. Assurance is for those who pondered the seriousness of sin and the reality of judgment. We do not know what we ought to pray for. See, I have this kind of vague go-to prayer where I, I kind of throw out all the things that are difficult and all these situations in my life and maybe it's my ADD, but I just say, okay, God, uh, just make that all work out <laughs> somehow. And it's not, it's not real uh, in tune with Romans 8, 28. I'd say it's more like make it work out in a way that's painless. <laughs> and just brings me a lot of comfort and ease, and so I can just sail on through. Okay, can I get an amen? And yeah. yeah. All right. I thought it was just me. However, I was also taught by a mentor to do this kind of um, prayer with me, and one of the parts of that is called dedication. And so for many, many years, I've prayed this prayer, and sometimes uh, more sincerely than other times. And it's something like this. God, use me today for your purposes. And it's not just, hey, use, use 
use the parts of me that I have left over, or you know, use my gifts to um, make everything work out great. It's more the sense of God use me up, like use all of me, like melt my bones like wax, kind of use me. And so, you know, sometimes I do that prayer sincerely, and. There have been times over the years when I've looked at what's going on in my life and I've said, well, I asked for it. <laughs> right? I mean, uh, okay. And, and there's other times when I, I kind of forget to do that part of the prayer. I kind of forget or, or I let it slide for weeks at a time. And there's a real difference between that vague kind of, God, work all this out for my comfort. Sorry. Don't read that. Um, very different things. Thank God that I have the Spirit interceding, groaning with words I don't understand. And God's searching and listening for it. Secondly, look to the cross and the suffering of Christ. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. When that word loved, what that means in the original language is a single moment in time when Christ loved us. It's not that he loved us at one time and now he's not sure. It's one time, it's, it's uh, the aorist tense, he loved us. That's speaking about that time on the cross. When God spared not his own son, but gave him up for us all, he let him have it. And on the cross, all hell came down. Jesus suffered through the hell of separation from his father, a hell we never have to face. Because Jesus did. Not the hell of difficult circumstances or mouthful of chocolate chip cookies without milk, but the hell of profound abandonment. And that may be the thing that we fear more than anything. Psychologists might tell you that abandonment is one of the most harsh things that can happen to a child. That abandonment. Jesus went to that hell rather than walk away from you and me. He could have stopped all the pain and rejection by just walking away, but in the greatest act of love in the history of the universe, he stayed. And hell itself cannot separate that love from us. We've heard about unconditional love. This is almost counter-conditional love. Jesus loves us against the conditions under which he found himself. No matter, it came down on him on the cross. And if he wouldn't abandon us then, how could he now? If we have a bad week, does that mean he's gone? If we have trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or danger or nakedness, 
A sword? I'm not threatened with swords usually. Are you? The Romans were. They were under that threat. Here's a quote from St. John of the Cross. When anything disagreeable or displeasing happens to you, remember Christ crucified and be silent. As if that were all not enough, look at what Jesus is up to now. Do you ever wonder about that? Jesus lived, died, rose again, ascended to heaven. What's he up to now? What's he, what's he spend his time doing now? Our, our creed will say it later. He's sitting at the right hand of God and interceding for us. Jesus got a new job. It's your lawyer. That's what he's up to right now. He doesn't have anything better to do than to advocate for you and me. Imagine the scene. You're on trial for what's in your heart. Remember that? How do you feel? Do you feel chargeable? I don't know. I think I do. If you've looked inside, you probably feel chargeable. Who will bring a charge? Paul says. Well, we can answer, who won't? I mean, everybody's charging us all the time. I'm, I'm, you know, charging myself. Are you? Keith preached about that a couple weeks ago. Others, you name it. Imagine in this courtroom, the question comes. You're the defendant, and the question is asked, is he guilty? There's no lack of other people who are going to say, yeah, he's guilty as heck. Just look at him. But then your lawyer walks in. And your lawyer is this unimaginably brilliant, gigantic, heavenly creature of blinding light who comes and stands next to you. And the question is asked again, is he guilty? And maybe the accusers would be kind of, uh, well, well, kind of looking up, blinded. This, I mean, every angel who comes to earth, what do they have to say immediately to people? What do they have to say? Every angel. Don't be afraid. Every time they come. This is the person, this is the guy who sent the angel as his little messenger. Right? Do not be afraid. Is he guilty? Who's gonna who's gonna charge with with that guy as your lawyer standing there? Uh well I I, I thought he was guilty, but um, you have a giant being next to you. I can imagine that it would be a little bit more difficult. It's impossible. You cannot be charged because of your advocate. It is God who justifies and Jesus intercedes for us. And what does Jesus say in this court case? Does he beg and plead for mercy? 
demands justice. Because he paid it. Jesus isn't throwing you on the mercy of the court. You don't need him to do that. You can do that on your own. Jesus is demanding justice. He's saying, the law demands payment, the wages of sin is death, and I have paid for my brother and my sister. I demand justice. If I paid it, you must acquit. <laughs> A little cultural reference there. God's law is now on your side. Along with grace, his mercy and the law both are for you. Grace and justice join on that cross. Third and last, look to others who've been through stuff. Paul's a pretty good one to look to. Paul was in prison uh, while he was writing a lot of letters. He was, here's what Paul says, he was exposed to death again and again, five times received the 40 lashes minus one, three times beaten with rods, once pelted with stones, three times shipwrecked, spent a night and a day in the open sea, and he goes on. Anybody else beaten with rods, stones, shipwrecked? No, no amens for that. Paul's a good one to look to. In all of that, he says, we are more than conquerors. When these folks are reading this letter, they're like, well, Paul, yeah, Paul knows, Paul knows what it's all about. And the Spirit has shown him this. And if you're thinking, boy, Davy Downer, doom and gloom, uh, my life isn't all that bad, you know. I haven't been shipwrecked this month. You know, I don't, I don't know if I need all that. Well, if you don't feel the need for this assurance, sorry, but you will. Out of Jesus' poverty comes riches. Out of his isolation and pain come real, true community. And you know people who've been through stuff and have been shaped because of the difficulties, not in spite of them, but because of the difficulties that have happened. God works for the good of those who love him. Terrible things happen. And we have scars. And maybe the longer you live, the more you've lived through, the more you have. And yet God uses all of that to conform us to the image of what? His son bleeding on the cross. The one who came poor and weak and broken. Doesn't come as a general or a king. He doesn't come as the strong one for the strong. He comes as one broken, the lamb who was slain. When we suffer, we begin to conform to his image. When we suffer wholly unto Christ, the scripture says it makes us glorified. What does that mean? Glorified means weighty or solid, more real. When suffering drives you more deeply into God, you become 
more solid, more vulnerable, and able to love the way Jesus does, and the way he asks us to love each other. And look at these lists that Paul goes through. I mean, can you think of anything else other than what was in that list? Now that I remember it, I can't remember it, but I'm remembering it in the wrong order. But neither the present nor the future nor any powers, either height or depth, in case I missed anything, anything else in all creation. There were some more things before that. That list threatens to separate you from God's love, but all of these have been defeated on the cross. By that communion of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I'm going to say one more thing about the phrase, one another. It happens many times throughout the New Testament. It's alelo, 59 times, and it talks about how we are to treat one another. In unity, be at peace with one another. Don't grumble among one another. In love, how we're supposed to love one another. Serve one another. Be devoted to one another in love. Also in humility, wash one another's feet. Here's one. Regard one another as more important than yourself. These are impossible without not only the example, but that inward work that God can do in us. All the work that God does in us is meant to go through us to the folks around us. And not just these folks, but those folks. Not just us, but them. And you know, in, in church, someone said, it's difficult to one another in rows. Hmm. You need circles. Right? And we do a pretty good job of enjoying each other during the break, getting little circles and, and talk. We have small groups where it, we think it's vital to be in a group sharing life with others. And next weekend we'll be camping in a circle around the fire. That would be great. I'm going to end with this quote that I put to where it's in the worship folder. It's by uh, Dostoevsky. You can look at it. There's another one by C.S. Lewis. But talking about everything working together for good and that assurance that we can't be separated and that in the end, it's all good. Dostoevsky has a way of saying it. I believe like a child that suffering will be healed and made up for. That all the humiliating absurdity of human contradictions will vanish like a pitiful mirage, like the despicable fabrication of the impotent and infinitely small Euclidean mind of man, that in the world's finale, at the moment of eternal harmony, something so precious 
will come to pass, that it will suffice for all hearts, for the comforting of all resentments, for the atonement of all the crimes of humanity, for all the blood that they've shed, that it will make it not only possible to forgive, but to justify all that has happened. Are you convinced, like Paul is? Do you know that you're loved? Let's pray. God, Abba, Father, your word is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. Will you shine your light in the darkness of our hearts? Search us and know us. Shine the light of your word, Jesus, before us in a dark world where we cannot see where to go or even how to ask where to go. Holy Spirit, help us beyond all words. God, give us the courage to wait on you in the dark as you do your work in us and through us to bring about your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Do you know your love? God, melt our anxiety with your love. Give us your peace. Help us to join you as we look at what you're doing in us, as we look and ponder the cross, and as we look to others. Convince us. Give us your assurance. In the name of Jesus, amen.